Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we have an awesome topic and an awesome guest. So today, we're going to talk about beyond cost per load with my friend, Felipe Capella. How's it going, Felipe? Very well, very well. Thank you, Joe, for having me. Excellent. I'm glad to have you. We've been planning this podcast for a while, so I'm glad we're finally doing it. I felt, and I had a very good time talking to Felipe and learning a little bit about his background. We'll get into that in just a minute. But first, Felipe, please introduce yourself and your company. My name is Felipe Capella. I'm the co-founder and president of LoadSmart. LoadSmart is a tech freight company. And we focused on bringing technology to shippers and carriers to try to optimize logistics execution. Talking about food truck load, last and truck load, rail, whatever you want, Joe. (laughs) So where are you based? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I have been based out of New York for the past seven years, but uh, we just decided to consolidate our operations in Chicago. So actually, I just arrived yesterday to Chicago into beautiful weather here. So now I can say that I'm based out of Chicago. So that's because it's a nice April day. But if it was a few months ago, you'd go, why the hell did we relocate to Chicago? (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. But the talent is here, Joe. The talent is here. It is a great town. I had Andrew Leto on my podcast, and he's the founder of Global Trans and Emerge. And he said, I think as successful as Global Trans was, it was based in Arizona. And he said, he goes, "Had had I started it in Chicago, I think it could have been even more successful it's just because there's just an aggressive, an aggressive, hardworking work ethic in the uh, Chicago freight markets. So you, you guys must have seen something the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm here now for the long run. Yep. And I, I'm, I'm in Detroit area. And so I've been to Chicago a million times. I have family in Milwaukee. And so I was driving back that way. There is so much truck traffic in Chicago. It's like no other city I've driven through. So if you're driving from Chicago all the way past Indiana, 100 miles, you can just be surrounded by trucks. And you're like, am I the only one who doesn't get a truck? Anyway, glad to have you on the podcast. So before we get into the topic today, tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I noticed there's an accent that isn't a New York or a Chicago <laughs> accent. Yeah, <laughs> That's my uh, weird Brazilian accent. And uh, so yeah, I was born in Brazil back in the days and I uh, lived there for uh, or worked there for seven or eight years after college. Then I moved to Spain to attend a, a master's degree, then moved to the U.S. to attend another one and ended up in New York City working as a lawyer for a firm called uh, Sullivan and Cromwell. Then after a couple of years, I moved to Washington, D.C., to work for the Inter-American Development Bank, helping uh, Latin American countries, states, and cities to raise money for infrastructure works, like roads, hospitals, san- uh, sanitation, this kind of stuff. And then after 11, 12 years of this corporate-ish life, I decided to stop and say, like, okay, I have to do something on my own. I have to challenge myself and start something from scratch. And that's when uh, Ricardo and I, my co-founder, got together and decided to uh, start LoadSmart. 
Well, that sounds like a traditional logistics background. <laughs> so you went to school for business and for law and ended up in logistics. Yeah, too many years in schooling. <laughs> my, I was, when we were prepping for this, I told Felipe, my sister used to live in Brazil, and she said, I'm really happy because she says, my son learned to play soccer in a way that is different and better than most other places he's lived. <laughs> and uh, she also said, she goes, you know, it's also crazy. She said, people really party down here. She goes, like, really? <laughs> she goes, they love to party down here. And she goes, and they all seem to like look good afterwards. She goes, it's like crazy. <laughs> she goes, yeah, yeah. A lot of things uh, wrong down there. But one thing is that uh, people are pretty... Uh, they enjoy their uh, life. Spirits. Yeah, absolutely. So what hole did you and Ricardo see in the market? Why did you start? I mean, of all the places you've been, you could have started a law firm with Ricardo. You could have done a million things. Why did you guys decide... We're going to get into this business. What hole did you see? Yeah, that's a good question. So back in 2014, Ricardo and I got together and we're trying to be a pragmatic saying, okay, what are the industries that have been kind of left behind in this technology revolution of this past 10 years, 15 years, right? And we discussed finance, we discussed healthcare, but when we looked at transportation, especially trucking in the US, we said like, this is it. Right. This is a $900 billion industry, like 60% of a Brazilian GDP, right. twice the GDP of Colombia. It's just when they told me the number, I thought they had like added a, a zero by mistake, but that's actually right. the correct number. And uh, second, fragmentation of the market, right? You have 250,000 carriers out there. You have thousands and thousands of shippers. You have 17,000 brokers in the middle. So super fragmented. And third, the lack of technology, right? When we started to operate back in 2014, and remember we had to buy a fax machine because carriers were refusing to commit to move alone unless they received a physical thing coming into their office. And that's when we realized, okay, this is it. This is the right uh, industry that is ripe for disruption. <laughs> a good, good call because I think that's all we're seeing for the last five or seven years is lots of disruption. So, Today's topic is beyond cost per load. And when we were talking about it offline, one of the things that I was we were talking about, as I said, I think margins are about 15%. Does that sound about right to you? Depends who you believe, Joe. If, if you check the public companies, I think they're hovering around 13 and a half, 14% okay. consolidated margins, right? Right. So one of the things that we were talking about is there's pressure all the time to compete. And, and we, we're, we do that very well in this space. And we talked about this idea that there's pressure to make that margin go lower. And there's been talk on my podcast lately, hey, what if it went to like 10%? What if it went to, and I said, I think there'll be like a dinosaur event. I think there'll be some companies that are not able to compete as soon as those margins go down. And Felipe, you said, absolutely. I see, see some of that, but you also brought up don't want to just focus on cost per load. It's important, but it's only half of the equation. And then you said, we also have to add value beyond driving costs down. So let's talk about two of those. So first off, I want to get your two cents on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and if we go back a few years, right, while we were discussing, Joe, is that when we looked at the industry and we wanted to provide this instant gratification to the shippers, same that has happened to the consumer side, right? You can go to Orbitz or Priceline, and buy a flight ticket from LA to Miami in a few seconds. Because when you enter your information in a Priceline, hey, I want a flight ticket from CDA to CDB, Orbitz or Priceline takes that data, 
they centered their supply. They were talking about 10 or 20 companies, all billion dollar companies, airlines, very sophisticated. They know their prices. They run their own pricing algorithms. They have their seat availability. So they just gather information, run their pricing, and send it back to Orbitz. And then Orbitz just display that to you. And that's it. When we try to do the same on the tracking side, we got requests from shippers. Hey, I want to move something from LA to Miami. When we look at our supply side, we didn't see 10, 20, 30 large billion dollar companies, very sophisticated, right? We saw 275,000 carriers, 96% of them with less than 10 trucks, and none of them really utilizing any kind of pricing or API connection or anything like that. And they were like, wow, so what do we do now? And then we decided, okay, let's create our own pricing and let's stand behind it, right? So we, in 2015, we were the first company in the US to really go out there and say like, we have an instant pricing for full truckload. And you can quote and book immediately, and we're going to stand behind it 100%. And I remember back in the days, the large brokers looked at us like, these guys are insane, right? Brokers are not supposed to take the risk of the transaction, right? These guys are going to go completely bankrupt. And uh, it was difficult at the beginning because when we didn't have that much data, sometimes we could quote something for $1,000, the shipper would book, would look at the supply side and try to find a truck, and it would only find a truck for 1200 so we'd lose $200, right? So that was actually a challenge at the beginning. But as we progressed, our algorithm became quite, quite accurate, right? So, and the way to add value to the shipper, enterprise shippers, was actually to integrate this algorithm into their own system, their own TMSs, right? So we created the first API in 2016. And I was, as I was telling Joe, uh, telling you, we were calling TMSs in 2016 and big shippers saying, hey, we have this instant pricing algorithm that can price every single spot load that you have inside your own TMS. You don't have to do anything. It's amazing, right? Shippers can live within your TMS. They don't have to go anywhere else. And they were saying like, well, that's amazing. Sounds really good. But our TMS, it's on-premise. It's not on the cloud. It's installed in our servers, right? We had to hire an implementation partner to do this integration. It's going to take 48 months and it's going to cost us a million dollars. So no, thank you. Uh, So we, from 2016, to 2018, we lived through like two tough years in which we had all the technology and kind of the cables to connect to other systems, but there were no other systems to connect to. And then in 2018, there was a really large shipper that decided to hack their own system to allow this to happen for the first time in the US. So that's when everything started. So from 2018 to 2021 to nowadays, we saw all the migration of the largest TMSs in the U.S. to the cloud, right? I'm talking about all the very known ones like uh, Oracle TMS, Mercury Gate, Blue Jay, Blue Yonder. And with that, with that migration, we saw large Fortune 500 companies following that, migrating their own local instances of that TMS to the cloud. And that's like why, for example, our Q1 that we just released the numbers we're 188% growth over Q1 of last year because so many integrations are going on as companies are migrating to the digital world, right? But going back to your point, that allows me to have currently around 85% of our revenues are fully automated because I'm talking about quote and book. We receive information from TMSs. We run the algorithms. We send automatically back to the TMS. The shipper books. It comes back to us. No one at LoadSmart touched the load whatsoever for 85% nice. of the web. So when you say the TMS, you mean the shipper's TMS, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. yes. So you guys were early. You were all dressed up with no place to go for a few years. It was tough. It was <laughs> Your tough. Your time has Startup come. Startup life. 
yeah, startup life is not as easy as people would think. So tough two years, but that also made us very well positioned to this past two or three years when everyone started to migrate to the cloud. But that, as I mentioned to you, Joe, this helps us a lot on unit cost, right? Cost per load, right? Because I don't have to have anyone like calling to give quotes or calling back trucks. I have an algorithm and an integration kind of distributing my quotes around all these like Fortune 500 companies. Right. So when we talk about this cost per load, and again, it's, we all know, well, we all hear, I should say, that there's going to be a continued push to see if we can't get that margin lower. So when we were talking about this offline, you said, yeah, we look at the world as kind of the life of the load. Speak to that and talk about what your kind of your efforts to drive that cost down on that. So again, you two sides of the equation, the cost per load, and then what additional value can we add? So speak first to the cost of the load and how you guys are driving that down. Yeah, so I wanted to give you this example of the quote in book because that's the first step in this life of a load, right? You have to quote the load and then you have, the shipper has to book the load. And that will have currently a very high level of automation. Though. But then we have the other like six steps that the loads, load has to follow, right? After quote and book, we have to schedule the appointment at the pickup warehouse and the delivery warehouse. That's usually done very manually. And then we, for the past year, we have advanced a lot in automating that part as well. Then once you have the appointment scheduled, you have to identify which is the right truck and right carrier to move that load. Once you identify that, then you have to transact with that carrier, right? It's not enough to know what carrier is, is good enough. You have to reach out to, to that carrier. The carrier has to agree to move that load for that specific price. Typically very manual. <laughs> Typically very manual. Then afterwards, once they agreed, you have to track the load right, and provide the status updates back to the shipper. And once that's delivered, you have all the back office documentation, proof of delivery, accounts payable, accounts receivable, receivable. You have to invoice the shipper. You have to pay the carrier. So it's a long process in the life of a load. And when we see companies out there say like, well, we have a 100% automation in the process of the load. Well, that's, pro- that's probably not true because, again, each step that I just mentioned is a step with its own complications, its own lack of systems. So we have to focus on each one of them. But to your point, we are focusing on all of them to drive costs down. When we drive costs down, we can be more aggressive and have a lower price to the shipper and pay more for the carrier, but we're moving, and it's funny, but when we hear investors, they're super focused on that. Hey, do you think your costs will go down and therefore you're going to put pressure on everyone else's margin, right? To your point, hey, take a look at C.H. Robinson's or Echo's margin, that their public numbers out there. So they're going down. I absolutely think they're going to keep going down because our automation keeps going up, Joe. So if my automation keeps going up, margins for sure will go down. And uh, when investors focus a lot on, hey, but let's talk about margin and these margins go down. That's a, an interesting conversation and it's part of the internal brokerage automation. But what people forget, and that's, I think, the topic of this, uh, finally, the topic of this uh, podcast is that there's a, another angle to this digitization and this technology adoption that happened in the whole industry is that a lot of efficiency and value is going to be created or is being created by this technology revolution that is not only reducing internal costs of brokerage and try to drive costs down. Right. And you know, if I could just summarize for just a second. So we talk about this cost per load and that's going to keep getting lower. And I kind of see this, what you just described, these seven, the life of the load, these seven steps, the quote and book and the tracking exceptions, all that stuff. 
you've driven the cost of that down. That, I think, in the future is going to be the cost of admission. That is going to have to be digitized to, to be cost effective, to kind of be inexpensive enough. But to your point, how do I add more value? And I'll throw this as one of the few things out there. At one time here in the U.S., we had coffee back in the 80s. The coffee consumption started going down. And they said, you can never increase the price of coffee. No one will pay for coffee. No one will pay for premium coffee. Now the leaders in the coffee business are all premium price. So someone could say, well, wait, why don't you all drink cheap coffee? You could. We don't want it. We want better, right? Same with phones. Phones became very generic. And everyone said, yeah, you know, they, for a long time, we just had a phone. You got it from the phone company. Well, now people sleep in the streets to get a phone that's brand new. So people are willing to pay extra to go beyond the basics. When they see the value, right, right. for paying extra, Joe. Right. So I think we all want that to be inexpensive because you kind of go, yeah, it's, I'm not getting a ton of value because of exception tracking. It has to be done, but I wish it just got done right the first time and I don't have to worry about it. No one wants to pay extra for that, right? So, so what you want to do is you want to automate this first piece so you can get to the second piece, which is the additional value added. So what are some of those things that you think, hey, these are the places that are, this is going to be the uh, shock and awe for customers? Yeah, I can give you a few examples of how this digitization is allowing companies like us to provide value beyond just moving a load from point A to point B at a good price, right? For example, a service that we just launched, multimodal optimization. So what happens, right, Joe, is that large shippers, for example, they plan their 12-month logistics based on year averages, right? They take a look, for example, the past 12 months or past three months, and they say like, okay, everything coming out of my factory in Miami and going to LA, on average, is better for me to send via over the road, via tr uh, truckload. So that's it. So I'll send everything via truckload and, and hope for the best. But depending on market conditions, if you analyze that on a daily basis and a load by load basis, a lot of these loads actually could have been sent, I don't know, via rail, right? Depending on rail congestion and depending on the, on the spot price of the truckload, maybe goes very high, right? So depending on the client sensitiveness to cost, to service levels, to CO2 emissions, right? If we analyze on a load-by-load -load basis, uh, better decisions could be made. And why that has not been done yet? Because everything has been very manual, right? You cannot physically, or it's actually pretty counterproductive to have enough people to analyze load-by-load, -load, like which one is, is has a, the best mode. But with the technology now that we have, we can, via technology, let the system pick well, for each load that they have, the shippers have to move what is the best mode at that point in time for that kind of commodity from that city to that other city, right? Well, this load is more, more than 500 miles. It's pickup locations close to a rail ramp, delivery locations closer to a rail ramp. A rail congestion is low right now. It's 12% cheaper than a spot truck load. So the system system's going to pick rail for load ABC, right? And that's all done automatically without anyone having to do anything. So you not only decrease dramatically your cost of moving that specific load. You also add efficiency because you don't have anyone making that manual decision, so you don't have like an overhead cost, but you also reduce a lot CO2 emissions that are very important now for, for large shippers. And again, we can only do that, Joe, because the technology allows LoadSmart to have instant capacity from railroads, instant pricing from railroads, instant capacity, instant pricing for, tr for truckload, partial. So we have now 
all the ability to make this live, instantaneous, autonomous decision now that we wouldn't be able to make like two or three years ago. Right. And, you know, mode optimization is one of those very important things. Obviously, you can save some money. And I think also like when we had that, when (laughs) truckload prices went through the roof, it's nice to be able to say, hey, we can look at some other modes to move your freight if we can't get you the truck for the right price. And in my experience, it seems it's almost that anecdotal thing, like the, the wise old guy in the corner says, oh, no, I've get." You can't find a truck, make it three LTLs or call the rail or whatever you're doing. And it's kind of a back of the napkin analysis, right? And what you're saying is there's no reason that it has to be that. It doesn't have to be the wise old guy in the room. It can be the technology can drive me towards some of these better decisions. And so this is the way you go above and beyond. This is where you're adding additional value. You're actually being more of a consultant to your customer, which we all say we want to be, but we don't always get that chance because we're so busy executing. I can give you another example that just came to my mind. It goes back to the scheduling part as well. So it's kind of scheduling as a unit cost reduction, but also scheduling as a value added to the shipper. So now we are integrated with a, a lot of softwares that manage dock appointments, right? So we can schedule the appointments automatically and try to have the best appointment at pickup and delivery to maximize the cost or actually maximize the efficiency of the truck moving from point A to point B. Because again, if it is a, I don't know, a five-hour run, you don't want to have an appointment that two appointments that are like 10 hours apart, right? Because you're going to have to pay for t- detention. So we schedule things automatically to maximize that stuff. So the cost goes down because it's just the best or a better appointment for a carrier the shipper is going to pay less. And more importantly, if the truck is running late, for example, you don't have to hold that dock for that specific truck, right? We can say like, hey, the truck is running late because I'm tracking the truck. So I know it's running two hours late. It's like, hey, you can free up that dock to the next one in line, optimize your warehouse operations and schedule another dock for two hours later, right? So that frees up dock appointments and makes the warehouse works in a much more efficient way. Yeah, we have to do a better job for our drivers also. I mean, we all know that's a problem. And we also know that drivers, after a while, talk and understand that I don't want to go to that location because they waste your time. They make you sit. Everybody knows we have to do a better job of managing drivers' time and helping them get home. (laughs) And so if there's some technology that can aid in dock appointments, absolutely adding some additional value. And no one likes that, right? So it's, it's bad for everyone involved because the shipper has to pay more money because of this inefficiency. The driver does not like to wait for two, three, four, five hours right, to load or unload. And the carrier does not want to bag brokers or shippers to be paid for that time. So it's a bad situation for everyone. So technology, like real-time data, is allowing us to make better decisions on the go that is good across the board. Something that's very interesting, Joe, as, as well as to think that There's no one specific beneficiary out of this digitization that's happening. It's actually good for everyone. Like shippers pay less, carriers are more efficient, and consumers get a better price at the end of the day when they buy apples, right? Just because the logistics was uh, much more efficient than it was. Oh, yeah. Well, we tend to take it for granted that the supply chains and logistics just works really well. And then we just kind of coming to the tail end of the pandemic, I hope, and... We saw just a few glimpses of when it doesn't work, right? When you go to the store and go, hey, the stuff I wanted isn't here. That that was a real bummer. And so it worked remarkably well, but 
we know what it feels like when it doesn't work. So thank God. So what are some other areas where you can add some value when you free up your team? I mean, my hope is, if I'm th- putting my shipper hat on for a moment, that you can give me advice and insights that I don't normally have. <laughs> I mean, can you do that for me? Yeah. So we have something called data insights. And again, as now we're receiving all this information online, right? We have the information that's coming through the TMSs. We have a bunch of market data that comes through a partner APIs. And now we're starting to see, Joe, which is going to be life-changing for the industry. We're starting to see small and medium-sized carriers to adopt cloud-based solutions as well, right? So on the shipper side, I was mentioning, telling the story that all the large enterprise shippers started to migrate to the cloud in the past two to three years, right? The carrier side is a little bit delayed, but now we're seeing that migration starting as well. Now, so now instead of companies like us trying to predict how much it's going to cost us to hire a truck in the market, we don't have to predict anymore because we have this real-time actual data coming through an API connection with a load planning solution that a carrier has adopted in the cloud. So imagine that if I know that a truck ABC is going to be arriving in Chicago at 10 a.m. to deliver a load and it's going to be free at 11 or 12 uh, p.m., I can then look at my demand side that I have all these integrations. For example, in, in Q4, I have seen more than a billion dollars in load opportunities real time through my shipper APIs. And I can pick one of these one load out of this billion dollars to match that specific carrier. And once I do that, then the carrier does not have to drive 20, 30 miles to get to the next load, right? And I don't run the risk anymore. I don't have to protect myself by building extra margins because they don't actually know how much it's going to cost me. I know that the truck's going to be there behind me and I probably know how much they they want to charge. So this thing becomes much more automated. So everything that's happening allows us to provide data insights to shippers. Like a shipper, I've noticed that your factory in New Mexico compared to your factory in Chattanooga has a 2% higher outbound transportation costs per mile. Let's try to analyze why that's the case. Well, maybe your lead time out of the New Mexico facility is shorter. So you're taking too much time to procure capacity on the spot side. That's driving your cost up compared to this other facility, right? So we have all this data coming and we can analyze and organize in a way that it makes sense to a human being to make more complex decisions because what the computer can do uh, better than probably all of us is gather a bunch of data, right, and run some comparative analysis and some predictions. But at the end of the day, the real world is actually much more complicated than that. And we need a logistics professional to make complex logistics decisions based on risk, right, based on the business goals of the company, based on a, on a risk analysis. It's, it's complicated, right? But we're giving tools intelligence based on data and real-time data in order for logistics professionals to make better decisions and fix pain points. Right. And I think what you're describing there is becoming more of a supply chain analyst and less of a transactional freight broker that moves something from point A to point B. And again, I've I'm coming from more of the supply chain background and I kind of look and go, I'm ordered to cash. When somebody talks to me about, I'll move something from your factory to my factory, 
it needs to be done, but it's not super impressive. And at some point, technology is going to manage a lot of that. So I need somebody who's going to kind of take a larger view and be that guy who can say, look, I'm a supply chain guy who has a lot of knowledge of transportation and logistics, and I can add value that way. And that's that's to your point. All the stuff that's going to be driven down tech cost-wise because of technology, there doesn't mean we're all going to go away. It doesn't mean margins are going to go to zero. It just means that we're all going to have to transition to these higher value-added places. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And Joe, I think people usually both on the investor side, but also across the industry, people underestimate what is happening, what's going to happen in the industry in the next two or three years, right? If we compare trucking with other industries that have gone through this digitization movement, right? Take a look at food delivery, right? After like 10 years of all the restaurants digitizing and the means of delivery also digitizing, it's a, what, $360, $400 billion industry in the U.S. And if we add up all the tech unicorns that were created by that digitization, we have more than $100 billion of, of companies. Same with travel. The industry is worth, I don't know, $600 billion, depending on who you ask, right? And if you add up all the tech unicorns that were created by digitization, I don't know, uh, the price line, trip.com, uh, Orbitz, there are like $150 billion of companies. And when you look at trucking in the U.S., right, that we're just at the beginning of this transformation, how many companies, tech companies, that are worth more than a billion dollars, you can count on, on one hand. It's less than $10 billion. So I have some bets out there that in the next three or four years, we're going to see at least five companies on the tech freight side in the U.S. that are worth more than $10 billion just because of the sheer size of the industry and the opportunity for digitization. Right. It does kind of defy logic when you think about, so I'm from automotive. There's 10 large auto supplier or 10 large automotive companies worldwide. And they sell all these cars. And then you go over to truckload. And I remember who's the largest, what percent does the largest carrier have? One and a half percent. What? <laughs> what do you mean? Are you sure? Do you, you mean 20 percent, 15 percent? I could see it being 30, 40 large carriers, but, and the same with freight brokerages, so just very splintered. That's uh, the name of the game. Yeah, we, and we can see, as I mentioned, the shipper transition to digital world has started like two or three years ago. Now we're seeing that scale up, and now we see small and medium-sized shippers starting to adopt cloud-based, simpler TMSs, moving out of pen and paper and emails to a cloud-based solution. Same thing on the carrier side, small and medium-sized carriers migrating to these load planning online solutions. So the next two or three years, we're going to see all this data migrating to the online world, and that helps companies like us to gather all this data, make sense of this data to make the, the life of shippers and carriers better. Right. Well, this is great stuff. So again, uh, today's topic is beyond cost per load. So Felipe, give us some final, I know this is a big topic, but give us uh, some final thoughts and summarize this topic for us. Yeah, I think just uh, to summarize, I think beyond focusing on unit costs and try to drive down prices, there's a whole new chapter in this digital freight tech world in which a lot of value is created and efficiency is created by using technology. And I think a lot of people are are missing that. So it, this is not a race to the bottom in terms of uh, pricing, although, uh, of course, I do believe margins will still go down because we companies like us are just automating everything. But for shippers and carriers, 
we do have to focus on value creation. And there's a lot that we can do to add value to shippers and carriers through technology that people are not talking about. Excellent. Excellent. So, Felipe, before you go, tell us a little more about LoadSmart. Who do you guys serve and how do we reach out to you guys? Yeah, we serve all shippers and all carriers, Joe. We had previously been super focused on Fortune 500 companies, and we're now expanding and providing a lot of different services and technology to small and medium-sized shippers as well. So if you're a mid-sized shipper, small shippers, shipper, please reach out, reach out to know what we can do for you. And also, if you're a small and medium-sized carrier, same way, you have a lot of technology that can help add value to your operations beyond just booking a load online. We promise that. What modes do you work in? We're currently working with food truck load. That includes a dry van, a reefer, and we recently launched flatbed as well. We work with a last and truck load, LTL. We work with partial. We're the first, I believe, one of the first, if not the first company to launch instant pricing for partial and with rail as well. So kind of we have the Andreage, uh, sorry. So one of our investors is, is Maersk. So I do have to mention Andreage, not, not, <laughs> not to get like a phone call later on, you know. <laughs> so what I'll do, Felipe, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in, in the show notes, link to uh, your website. And this was great. I do appreciate you taking the time. And I think it's an interesting perspective you bring because, again, we keep talking about this margin compression, lower, lower, lower. And you go, yeah, it assumes that you can't add any value beyond just the life of the load. And to your point, we can add a lot more, <laughs> but we have to we have to put our thinking caps on. And there's a new chapter to this story, to your point, And we have to all figure out what that means. And I think what it means is we become more in the transportation business, become more end-to-end providers and less transactional. 100%. So our goal is to be end-to-end provider in a multimodal environment and being able to be this kind of one-stop shop for all shippers in the digital world. Well, excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we had the chance to talk. Thank you so much. Joe, that has been my pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You're most welcome. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.